Before you sit down, first, I want to know how you're doing. Everybody doing okay tonight? Glad to be here. You guys sound good, singing your hearts out. Before we get started, we're going to do something a little different. I want you to repeat these words after me. These words come from Isaiah chapter 43, and I'm going to say a phrase and then have you say it after me. Okay, are you ready? Okay, this is what it says. I, even I, am the Lord. Apart from me, there is no Savior. I have revealed, I have revealed saved, saved, and proclaimed. I and not some foreign God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Awesome. You guys can have a seat. So I've heard this story told of a rabbi, maybe a little before Jesus, maybe a little after Jesus, right around the time that he lived. And this rabbi was walking home one night from the house of study. So he'd been studying the Bible, the Torah, or our Old Testament, Um, all day long. And he's on his way home from the house of study, and maybe he's repeating the text that he had been studying. Maybe it's this text from Isaiah 43. And you can picture him walking through the dark, right? I, even I am the Lord. Apart from me, there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I am not some foreign God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. And he's maybe repeating over and over what he'd been studying that day. But as he's walking... The sun starts to go down, and it starts to get darker and darker. And as he's so concentrating and focused on what he's studying, when he came to the fork in the road where the right path went to his house, he accidentally took the left path. And so he's studying Torah, repeating what he's doing. He's going left, and all of a sudden, he hears this booming voice. And that voice says, Who goes there? And the rabbi startled from his repetition, and he kind of like realized that he'd gone the wrong way. And then all of a sudden, kind of out of the shadows, came a Roman centurion. Because instead of going toward his house, he'd ended up going down the path toward a Roman outpost. And so this guard was guarding the road. And the centurion says to him, who are you? And what are you doing here? And the rabbi, being a wise man, thought for a minute. And he said back to the centurion, How much do they pay you to stand here and ask me these questions? And the centurion said, three drachma. And the rabbi said, I will pay you twice that much to stand at my door every day and ask me these questions. Who are you and what are you doing here? If we are God's witnesses, like Isaiah 43 says, then these questions are really important. Who are you, and what are you doing here? We've been going this semester through um, a kind of a trip through Hebrews chapter 11, what we call the Hall of Faith, and looking at all the different stories of people that lived by faith, people who knew the answers to those questions. They knew who they were. They knew why they were here. They knew what their purpose was. And at all costs, by faith, they lived to achieve those things. They weren't perfect. We've come to see that in our stories. And maybe you guys have been noticing that. 
It's not about being perfect, but it's about knowing who you are and what you're doing here. Tonight, we chose the story we're going to look at tonight that comes from Hebrews 11 from a group of people called the prophets because Hebrews 11 names them as a group, the prophets. And the prophets were people during the time of the Old Testament who spoke for God. They had messages from God to his people, sometimes to the, t- to the king. And here's the thing. Oftentimes, the prophet had a message that the people didn't want to hear. And because of that, their lives were often very difficult. They had to often take great risk to share their message. And sometimes it had great cost. So here's what we're going to do. I'd like for you to pray with me. And then we're going to hear some words from Hebrews chapter 11 and dive into our story. Sound okay? Let's pray. Jesus, we're thankful uh, for this time and this space that with great purpose you have called us to this room to hear from your word. So God, I pray that my words would be yours. I pray that our hearts and minds would be open to what you have to say and that your word would do tonight what you have sent it to do. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite Jared up. He's one of our interns in the office and on the prayer team, and he is going to come and share with us some words from Hebrews chapter 11. Please welcome Jared. Hello? You to, oh, you're good. All right. Yep. All right. Hebrews 11, 32 through 40. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, or the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered about in caves and mountains and deserts and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jared. Yeah. So, in that group of people, we find the prophets. And tonight's story we've chosen is about a prophet in the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah. So if you have a Bible, turn your Bibles to 1 Kings. We're going to start in chapter 16. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and our friends will bring them to you. Um, So, 1 Kings, chapter 16, we will start there. Now, here is the thing. Some of you guys know this, that the story we're going to talk about tonight is my favorite story in the whole entire Bible. So I'm really excited about tonight. I hope you guys enjoy this and have fun. Um, 
1 Kings chapter 16. Before we dive in, last week, um, Scott talked to us about David and about when David became king. Nod your head if you remember that. It sounds kind of familiar. Okay, cool. So the story last week when David was king was when, let's see if this is working. Nope, of course it's not. So I'm going to need the first map up there. Oh, bummer. Okay. When do you guys want to come grab this and see if you can get it to work? That'd be great. Ready? Okay. All right. So um, last week we talked about David. When David was king, this was during the time of the United Kingdom. It means everything you see in purple was part of the kingdom of Israel. But later on in time, just a short time later, there was conflict in the land and the, and the kingdom divided into what we actually call the divided kingdom. You can go to the next map. Um, with Israel in the top in the pink and Judah in the bottom. Our story tonight takes place during the United Kingdom. Thank you. Thanks. Um, during the United Kingdom, or the divided kingdom, sorry, in the northern kingdom. So the story we're talking about takes place up here in Israel, okay? In that part of the kingdom. So turn to 1 Kings chapter 16 and go to verse 30. I'm just going to read a couple verses to you about the king of the northern kingdom. His name is Ahab. This is all a little bit of background for our story that will help. So verse 30, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, who was a king before him, who was really, really bad, um, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Etbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. That is a bummer bio, don't you think? (laughs) Like, who wants to be that guy and have that description? Right? Not only did he consider it trivial to commit all these sins of the other kings, but he provoked God to anger more than anybody else. Why do you think? What do you hear? Say it louder. Idolatry. Okay? So basically, when the people moved into the land, they were supposed to serve one God, the God of Israel. They were supposed to worship together in the temple in Jerusalem right here. But when the kingdom divided, all kinds of crazy things started to happen. And Ahab is one of the kings that turned the hearts of the people away from the one true God toward other gods, namely Baal. Okay, we're going to talk more about him in a second. So much so that, did you catch that? He built a temple to Baal in Samaria, which happened to be the, the um, capital of the northern kingdom. Okay, so this king is not doing a good job of leading the people to follow God. Turn to 1 Kings 17. Enter prophet Elijah. We're just going to read verse 1. 17 verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab the king, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So God sends Elijah, a prophet, to tell the king, listen, you have turned the people's hearts away from me. Therefore, the rain is going to stop until I say that it comes back. That is real bad if you live in this land. It is a hard land, a dry land, a rocky land. If there's no rain, there's no life. Okay, so this is a big deal. Turn to 1 Kings 18. 
verses 1 and 2. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. How much time had gone by? Did you catch that? Three years. Famine in the land for three years because there had been no rain. Now, there are a few things you need to understand, and then I'm going to tell you this really cool story in chapter 18. The first thing is water, absolutely crucial to life. We have to have water. If you don't have water in this land from the rain, you don't have water. If there's no water, there's no income, there's no crops, there's no life. Water is, is essential to life in this land. The next thing is I want to tell you about Baal. This is the God that Elijah was, or Ahab was turning the hearts toward, okay? And here's a picture of him, one way that he's depicted, often as a bull. You'll notice he's got horns. He's holding what is hard to see, but is a lightning bolt. Baal was known as the God of rain. Interesting, don't you think? Rain, fertility, um, he controlled the lightning which struck the earth. Um, let me just make sure I'm saying everything. So in this case, if God says no rain, there's famine in the land, the fertility's gone, it's kind of like he's going for the throat, right? This, these are the things that Baal is supposed to control. So this is a problem. The third thing is, I just want to take you to the place where this story happens. What you're looking at is Mount Carmel. Now, Mount Carmel is kind of a weird phrase. It's actually a 30-mile-long mountain range in the land of Israel that sits right near the ocean. Very lush, very fertile, very, very beautiful. It probably gets most rain than anywhere in the land. And the elevation at the top point is about 1,800 feet. You're looking at the spot, kind of that highest point right up here, where they believe this story would have taken place. Um, also, just one more view. This is from the top, from that point I just showed you, looking down. So you're looking down at olive crops down here, the Jezreel Valley. Um, and maybe this is a good viewpoint for our story tonight. You can kind of pretend you're up on top of the mountain as you listen. So here's what I'd like you to do. Close your Bible. You can leave your finger or a paper there or something if you want. Sorry if I told you that too late. <laughs> But what I'd like you to do is just to listen and to let Elijah's story speak to you. Just one more piece of background information. Ahab has sent his servant Obadiah out to kind of find food for the animals. Obadiah loves God. He's been like saving God's people and hiding them in caves while Ahab and his wife have been killing them off. It's just something to note about this story. So here we go. This is 1 Kings chapter 18, um, the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. So Obadiah went and told Ahab, and Ahab came to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah replied, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now send word throughout all Israel and have the people meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring also the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. 
So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If Baal is God, follow him. But if the Lord is God, follow him. And the people said nothing. Then Elijah said, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Choose two bulls for us. Let them take one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces and place it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then they can call on the name of their God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first since there are so many of you. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. They arranged the wood and cut it into pieces and placed it on the wood. From morning till noon, they called on Baal. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them, saying, Shout louder. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder. And they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed. And they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to the people, come here to me. And they came to him. And Elijah rebuilt the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Jacob, Descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be called Israel. And with the twelve stones, he built an altar, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seahs of water. He arranged the wood, he cut the bull into pieces, and placed it on the wood. Then he told them, Take four large jars of water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And the water flowed down the altar and the sacrifice and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you, O Lord, are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that all these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, and it burned up the offering and the wood and the stones and the soil and even licked up the water in the trench. When the people saw this, they all fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, 
Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. So they seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon River and slaughtered there. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed back to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bent to the ground with his face between his knees. And then he told his servant, go and look toward the sea. He went and looked. There's nothing there, the servant said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The winds rose and a heavy rain came on. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak in his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Isn't that a cool story? (laughs) Open up your Bibles again. 1 Kings 18. Let's take a look at a couple things. Does anyone remember how many prophets of Baal there were? 450. How about prophets of Asherah, another, another idol? Anybody see it? 400. How many prophets of God in this story? One. Elijah stands alone. Can you imagine standing at the top of this, this mountain, maybe even looking down, and the whole kingdom of Israel standing at the bottom, looking up at this event? Hundreds of people, thousands of people. And then you've got the 950 prophets over here and Elijah standing all by himself. This man has courage. One other thing, Mount Carmel, we talked about it being really lush and fertile. Um, It's really interesting in verses 18 and 19, he says, have them all meet me on Mount Carmel. You guys, this is home court advantage for Baal. This is like the place he's supposed to be in charge. This is the most fertile place in all the land. And Elijah says, meet me there. Look at verse 21. Elijah stands before the people and says, I'm the only one left. And he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If Baal is God, follow him. If the Lord is God, follow him. And I've heard heard it said that this is the saddest text in the whole Bible because the people say nothing. They don't choose. They're just silent. If you look down at verse 33 and 34, he arranges the wood, cuts the bowl into pieces, and then what does he ask them to do? What do you see? Fill four large jars with water? Where are they getting four large jars of water? Do you remember what's going on? A three-year famine in the land. Now, I don't know where they got the water. I can't answer that for you. Although the Kishon River is at the bottom, although in a drought, there wouldn't have been a lot of water there. So somewhere, there was water keeping the people alive. But you don't just pour four large jars over an offering. Now, a lot of people think this happened because he's trying to make it harder, right? We're going to make this really hard on God. We're going to douse it in water and see if the fire really works. Actually, what's going on here is a prayer for rain. 
It became tradition all through the text, starting with Solomon, who built the temple, that you pour water on the altar at the end of the dry season to pray for rain. So this partly what's going on here is a prayer for rain. Now, this is really cool. Look at verse 39. This is the last little tidbit. When all the people saw this fire from the Lord, they fell on their faces and they cried what? The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Guess what Elijah's name means? The Lord, he is God. Are they like, Elijah, Elijah? I don't know, right? (laughs) But that's the literal translation of his name. His name means the Lord is our God. It's just kind of a cool thing. Now, here's what I want to do really quick. That's enough details. I want to recap the story. I want you to feel this and understand what just happened. And so you understand this. This is a picture from last May, hopefully. Nope. Skip the map. There we go. Yeah, come on. Okay, so this is us just last May, our group from Grand Valley climbing Mount Carmel. Some of you guys were there. It is a seriously intense, very steep climb. It's no joke, especially even in your $120 hiking boots. It's really hard. Elijah didn't have those, okay? So remember what he did. He climbed to the top of Carmel. He challenged a king that wanted to kill him. Remember, they were killing off those that followed the true God of Israel, right? Climbs to the top of Mount Carmel. He faces the entire nation and all the prophets of the other God all by himself. He builds an altar, and then he cuts up a bull by himself. How many of you guys have ever, like, cut up a deer? Maybe. Some of you guys have, right? That's no joke. That's, like, a big job. How about a bull all by yourself? It's just a detail in the story we can fly right by. There's 950 people over here doing this, and Elijah is doing this all by himself, right? Then God shows up. He climbs back down 1,800 feet of Mount Carmel and now kills 950 prophets with the sword. It's a gruesome part of the story, but seriously exhausting after he's already climbed the mountain, built the altar, cut up the bull, climbed back down the mountain, helped slaughter these prophets, as gruesome as it is. And what does he do next? He climbs back up the mountain, 1,800 feet without his hiking boots, right? Back up the mountain. And he bends down on his knees and puts his face between his knees and he prays that God would send rain on the land. The rain comes and then guess what he does? It tells us in the last verse that the power of God comes upon him and he tucks his cloak at his belt and he runs ahead of Ahab. What it doesn't tell you is that Jezreel is 19 miles away. This story is no joke. Do you feel this? This is not just some little like, oh, I'll just show up and do this thing and wait for God to show up. Elijah is giving everything he's got. I've climbed that mountain several times. It is hard hard work. He's up, down, up, down, standing alone in the face of great opposition. Elijah has a fire and a passion in his soul for God. Like very few I have ever heard. Who are you and what are you doing here? In May of 2004, Ben and I got to go to Israel for the first time. And the very first place we went was to the top of Mount Carmel. 
And we heard this story. It was the first story I ever heard in the land. Then we hiked down the mountain in the dark. It was our first hike, scared out of my mind. Craziness, but that's not the point. Here is me sitting on this mountain a really long time ago, okay? Baby Stacy, a while ago. When I heard this story for the first time, there was something about Elijah that I wanted. Elijah had an unbelievable fire in his soul. Elijah had an unrelenting desire to follow God no matter what the cost. Elijah took incredible risks, and he called others to do the same. He was willing to stand alone in the face of enormous opposition and say, no, you know what? The Lord is God and no one else. And as I sat there and heard that story, I wanted to be like Elijah. More than anything, I felt that burning in my soul. Maybe it was naming something that was already there for me, but it grew that day. And I thought, I want to live that way. I want to give everything I want my life to declare to the world that the Lord alone is God, no matter what it takes. So for a long time, this has been my favorite story, and now you know why. For the last five years, I've had the incredible privilege of taking some of you guys, and hopefully more of you, to the top of Carmel and telling that story there, which is a real good time. And if you want to go with us in May of 2018... That's coming, just saying. So you can pencil that in to your calendar. Many of you know that Ben and I adopted a baby this summer. And as we were in the waiting process for months and months, kind of wondering who this baby is going to be and what he's going to look like and really what we should name this baby, we looked and looked at baby names, right? That's what you do. We went and looked at the baby books. We read all the names. No matter what we did or what we talked about, We could not get away from the name Elijah. We just couldn't do it. We kept coming back to it. We wanted our our baby's life to shout to the world that the Lord alone is God. So, in fact, this past May, when we were on Mount Carmel, we heard a friend of ours, a native Israeli, telling a group that if you take Elijah's name in Hebrew, there are seven different ways that the Hebrew spells the Lord is our God. And we were sold. <laughs> like, that's awesome. So we chose the name Elijah for the right baby at the right time. And Eli, I'm going to need you for a second, buddy. Come on down here. <laughs> you can if you want. So we're not going to, like, you know, get too loud or crazy because it might scare them. Say hi, guys. So this is Elijah. And now you kind of know why. (laughs) We love the idea that this baby's life might scream to the world that the Lord alone is God in countless ways. Now here's the thing. He's kind of already, he's like an overachiever. He's already doing it. So 
Just a few ways that we've already seen Eli's story do this. Miraculous things that his life is already declaring. One of them is, miraculously, a woman in Seattle, Washington, a brave, courageous, incredible woman, randomly was Googling for adoptive families when she got pregnant and decided to give her baby up for adoption. Randomly, from Seattle, Washington, Washington happened to find our family's profile online, call our caseworker, and we get this crazy phone call in January saying, are you interested in this? This is a little nuts. This doesn't really happen like this. Um, and we said, yeah, we're crazy. We like crazy, right? So literally, long story short, seven months later, that phone call turned into us traveling to Washington and adopting baby Elijah. And you guys, you want to know something really cool? His birth mom's in the room tonight. And I just want you to give it up for her because she's awesome and she's sitting right back there. brave and courageous and has been part of shouting God's glory through this story. So if you get to meet her tonight, um, I recommend it. She's pretty cool. Um, The other miraculous things, there's so many things. I could write a book already. We had free housing, a free car through crazy circumstances when we were in Washington for three weeks adopting him. And the biggest one maybe is that um, through many of you and people we know, people we don't, God moved people to be part of this adoption to help us accomplish something financially that we could never do by ourselves. And you guys, a few weeks ago, the like $25,000 bill for adopting Elijah was paid in full. So what's up? (laughs) Eli's story has already declared to the world that the Lord is God, the Lord alone. And our prayer for him is that throughout his life, he might learn to do that more. That he might call other people to do that. Um, that we all might learn together how to stand alone and declare the Lord is God with all we've got. So this is why this is Elijah. I'm going to send him away now. Say bye-bye. <laughs> Remember where we started tonight? I, even I, am the Lord. Apart from me, there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I am not some foreign God among you, and you, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Who are you, and what are you doing here? Are you willing to love God with everything you've got? Are you willing to stand alone in the face of great opposition? Are you willing to take great risk, like your comfort and your safety and your happiness, whatever, your dreams, so that your life might shout to the world that the Lord alone is God? You know what's really cool? Jesus lived this way. So much so that throughout the, Old, or the New Testament, you can read places where people will see Jesus and go, hey, is that Elijah? For real. 
Jesus had that same passion, fire, abandon to declare that the Lord is God. I'm going to ask Jared to come, and he is going to help us close with a couple words from Hebrews chapter 12. So I just want you to listen, and then we'll close together. Come on up, Jared. Hello. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Here's what I want you to do. Jared's going to stay. I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to close by saying this together. So stand if you're able. And here's what I want to say. We're not going to just like sort of read it like the words on the screen or you know what I mean. I want you to say this like you mean it. Shout it if you want to. Let's declare this together and then you know what we're going to do? We're going to sing songs that allow us to do that too. To ask for God to give us passion. To live with everything we've got. To declare that he alone is God. Are you ready? All right, here's we, all right here we go. It's going to be on the screen. Let's read this together. Therefore, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. God, you are good, you are faithful, you are working in ways we see and in ways we don't. God, as we stand before you tonight, there are parts of our hearts that hear this story and come alive and want to live with passion and fire in our souls for you. And there are parts of our hearts that say, but I'm not there yet, or I've screwed up, or I'm not worthy of that life, or I don't know how to do it. God, I pray in this time, Would you remind us that it's not about us, it's about what you can do, what you can do through us. So God, will you meet us in these songs? Will you meet us in this space? Would you heal the parts of our hearts that might hold us back from abandoning everything to follow you? And God, will you help us declare together as a people, as a community, that you alone are God. In the name of Jesus, we pray together. Amen.